Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions, and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. Hi, this is Professor Chapman. Recently we've been doing some Facebook Live sessions where I've been answering questions from the listeners and participants. What you're about to hear now is some audio of those segments and I hope they'll be useful for you. Hi there everybody. Those of you that haven't listened to me before, I'm Michael Chapman. I've been working with IVF since 1985, so that's a couple of years ago. So I know a little bit about it. I've delivered over 3,000 babies as a result of treatments under my care over that time. So I think I know a little bit about it. And as a professor, obviously what I do have the advantage of is keeping up to date with the latest research. And the approach to managing my patients is very much what uh, is in the literature and what people have done in terms of trials. Every year there is something new. The world does move forward. You know, when I started doing IVF, the success rate was if we got 5%, i.e. 1 in 20 patients pregnant in a cycle, we were happy. Today, 1 in 2 patients is likely to get pregnant if they're under the age of 35. So we've come a long way in uh, 35 years and uh, the world will continue to improve. We've learned a lot about what reproduction is about over that time frame. why we as a species actually aren't very efficient reproducers. And it's a thing we struggle against both in IVF but also in your own attempts to get pregnant. In any one month, the odds of getting pregnant, even though you ovulate, even though he's got good sperm and even though your tubes are open and all your anatomy is normal, your chances of getting pregnant, in fact, are still only around 15%. So only one in six cycles will actually produce a baby. So it's not surprising that when couples set out on their journey to have a baby, they get frustrated, often end up coming to see me perhaps sooner than they need to. And only this last week, I've seen a patient who'd been trying for five months and I had to turn them away and say, no, you don't need IVF. What you need to do is to keep on trying because nature is actually going to be better than IVF for you over the next few months because at 15% per cycle, in three cycles, you're doing better than one cycle of IVF. Unfortunately, uh, there are clinics out there where IVF is the standard. You walk in the front door saying, I've been trying to get pregnant. They don't ask you how long. And uh, they just say, put you into IVF. And usually, uh, or many times, you don't need to be there. I'm actually very unhappy that uh, IVF is being used randomly. It should be the, the port of last option that everything else should have been tried first, which includes trying on your own. So, Prof, we have a question here in the comments from Natoya. Thank you for your question, Natoya. Now, Natoya's question, Prof, is I have endometriosis and PCOS. I've been told I need to have IVF. I've never fallen pregnant nor lost any, so it's heartbreaking and it's so expensive. It is sad that people who can't have kids have to pay such a massive amount. Yeah, unfortunately, IVF is expensive and and primarily because there's a whole team of people behind me who help people get pregnant. 
So for every one of me as a specialist, there are probably 10 other people who, who need to be paid to make the process work. So scientists, uh, nurses, counsellors, and the admin team. I mean, that's why it's expensive. And we are lucky in Australia, to be honest, that 50% of the costs are actually covered by the government. That's not the same in the rest of the world. But, you know, in a standard IVF cycle, in a, in a premium clinic that, like I run, we're talking about five or $6,000 out of pocket per cycle. Endometriosis and polycystic ovaries. Well, polycystic ovaries is a positive, but ultimately your age will, will be the main factor. And I'd be interested to know what your age is. I'm a little concerned about your diagnosis of endometriosis. I'd, if I, you were seeing me, I would be doing a much more detailed assessment of the degree of endometriosis. But sometimes it's used as an excuse to push into IVF when IVF may not necessarily be uh, the way forward. With polycystic ovaries, if you have a moderate or severe form, you're not ovulating regularly. And just making you ovulate regularly may be enough to get you pregnant without having to go down the IVF track. So you need an expert opinion. Uh, and I'm afraid out there, there are doctors who work in IVF clinics who don't have the depth of training that we have as subspecialists. And when you get complicated cases like yours, it's very important to find someone who is experienced and expert at what they, they do. I get emails you know, once a week from patients around Australia and overseas through my podcasts that uh, ask me questions and, and I'm more than comfortable to answer them over an email or making a teleconference time to, uh, to have a consultation and, and, and talk through all the various aspects. So I have a better idea rather than just offering you random advice uh, on a program like this. And uh, you can contact me either through my email. My email for IVF is Chapman at ivf.com.au or ring IVF Australia and the switchboard and ask to be put through to my rooms and they will make an appointment for you. And I deal with patients all around Australia. I don't know where you are, but if you're in Sydney, then the face-to-face is even better. I think you've often talked about the importance of having a CREI qualification or for people to look for someone with a CREI qualification. I have a question from Brun and the question is this. Is there any difference in fertility quality between the TESSA testis biopsy and egg collection on the same day than the first biopsy procedure, sperm freezing, and after a few days, the eggs are collected? It really depends on the quality of the sperm. The ideal is to have it on the day because there'll be more fresh sample. And if there's only a very tiny number of sperm that you're collecting at the teaser process, freezing and rethawing uh, probably reduces the numbers by half. So it's not ideal. Coordinating the two is probably better if the, if the sperm numbers are going to be low. And if a man's having a teaser, it probably they're probably starting from a point of low sperm counts. Uh, the only exception that possibly is men who've had a vasectomy but when a teaser is being done it's usually being done because there is poor sperm numbers and quality and therefore fresh is better and don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select ivf journey podcast from the navigation menu Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. 
You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. 